we started witnessing a slowdown of the growth of DPO in the last two quarters, and now it's starting to degrade. Right? It is the true definition of an inflection point, if you will. What we're seeing is really, as I mentioned, the leverage starting to shift from the buyers to the sellers in this environment. So the buyers, the corporates, want to ensure supply assurance. So they have less purchasing power and therefore have had to become less prescriptive in how they receive goods and services. It's really more about supply assurance, capturing shipping availability, as opposed to optimal total cost of ownership. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Welcome, everyone. My name is Gary Baker. I'm the Global Communications Director for the Hackett Group. Today on our Business Acceleration Podcast, we'll be discussing the uh, 2022 Q2 Refresh of our working capital survey. A little bit of background to get us started. The Hackett Group has been publishing an annual working capital survey for more than 20 years now. The research looks at the cost and cash performance of a thousand of the largest publicly listed non-financial companies with headquarters in the U.S. It takes an industry approach and it ranks companies across four key dimensions of working capital performance. Uh, Days sales outstanding, or DSO, Days Inventory Outstanding, which is DIO, Days Payables Outstanding, DPO, and a Cash Conversion Cycle, or a CCC. Joining me today for this discussion are Director Sean Townsend and Director Istvan Bodo from our Working Capital team. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Gary. Sean, a few months ago, we looked at the annual survey for 2022. Can you kind of give our listeners a quick overview of those findings to get us started? Right. So... In terms of working capital performance, Gary, 2021 has been a year unlike any other in history. It marked the first time since 2010 where the four components of working capital, so the the four components that you mentioned, CCC, DSO, DIO, and DPO, were all exhibiting positive trends. Really, I mean, the, the most notable movement, the one that really surprised me the most, in the working capital metric survey was the improvement in DIO or inventory performance, if you will. We saw a 2% improvement this year, where we usually see between 3 and 6% year-over-year deterioration in the previous years. That was the first comment. The DSO receivable metric also improved. So here we're talking about receivable performance and that DSO metric improved by 2% as well after registering typically consecutive deterioration of 2% in the last two years. And finally, DPO, so the payables. The payables continued its improvement trend, even though it was marginal. So we saw an improvement of 0.3 days. And I think that's an important point to make here, as we will see later on. The rate of increase has significantly slowed this year. We typically see between one or two days of improvement year over year. And here in the last year, we've seen a the, the rate of, of increase slowing quite a bit. Interesting. Now, let's take a look at the Q2 uh, data. Obviously, a lot to digest here, but what are some of the main takeaways and what surprised you the most in terms of the changes in working capital performance over the first half of 2022? For the quarterly refresh, and just to set the overall methodology here, we'll be talking about the Q2 2022 data and compare it to Q2 2021 data. So it's always good to look at 
you know, consistent quarters because working capital performance is highly cyclical and highly seasonal, especially for certain industries like retail, oil and gas, transportation, etc. So with that said, when we look at Q2 2021 and Q2 2022, we noticed that DIO and DSO have been flat, essentially flat between those two quarters year over year. So inventory performance and receivables performance, fairly flat. What is surprising, though, is the degradation in DPO performance. And this is the first time we've seen this in recent years. The payable performance has degraded. So as I mentioned before, we started witnessing a slowdown of the growth of DPO in the last two quarters, and now it's starting to degrade, right? It is the true definition of an inflection point, if you will. Obviously, it's hard to predict the future for sure, but I suspect this DPO trend will continue in the foreseeable future, either a marginal improvement or a degradation in the foreseeable future. And the reason I think is really twofold. First, the... uh, Continuing supply chain bottlenecks, inflation pressure, and overall geopolitical risks that are forcing the buyers to buy to requisition goods at really terms and conditions that are way more favorable to the sellers. The sellers have more of the leverage in this environment than than the buyers. So that's the first reason. The second reason is really what we're seeing is that companies, corporates, are reaching the upper limit of payment term extension for the region. We talked about supply chain finance in the past, and really supply chain finance as a payment term extension tool has been used extensively. I mean, I would say it's still alive and still fairly well spread in terms of usage across the board. But we believe also that there is a ceiling here as well when it comes to its usage and its penetration across the supply base. So what we're seeing is really, as I mentioned, the leverage starting to shift from the buyers to the sellers in this environment. So the buyers, the corporates want to ensure supply assurance. Really, that's really the main goal right now. So they have less purchasing power and therefore have had to become less prescriptive in how they receive goods and services. It's really more about supply assurance, capturing shipping availability, as opposed to optimal total cost of ownership that we've seen in the past few years. And we talked about supply chain finance. And what I can say about supply chain finance is anecdotally, we are seeing that corporates continue to deploy this tool and really here with the primary aim in the last few quarters is really about supply chain support and supply chain assurance. It's really really about injecting liquidity into the supply base as opposed to payment term extension. In other words, really uh, the supply chain finance tool has been used more to stabilize and reinforce the supply base rather than extending payment terms for the buyer. So let's look at certain industries here with that said in more detail. So when we look at the industries that have degraded the most when it comes to DPO, the industries with the largest degradations in DPO include railroad and trucking. So we saw a 17% degradation in DPO there. The second worst industry was wholesale distributors, 12% degradation followed by airlines industry, 9%. And you will notice, really, I mean, there's there's a common theme here with, with those industries that, that I've seen a degradation in DPO. All of these industries have a supply base that have much more leverage than they do, right? Because of the type of supplies that they are buying. It's, it's really energy and goods for resale in the case of, of retail. And really, so it's the 
the type of supplies and the scarcity of the supplies in, in this environment, which explain that DPO degradation. So that's on the DPO side. Isvan, do you want to talk about what we've seen in DIO and DSO? Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. So DSO has been essentially flat, but there were still a few industries which managed to improve DSO. So airlines improved DSO by 32%, hotels, restaurants, and recreations improved, continued to improve DSO by 10%, and motor vehicles also improved DSO by 10%. But these are all industries with a strong B2C component, and all these industries fare really well with the period of corporate revenue growth. So as a reminder, B2C companies tend to have shorter customer payment terms. And as revenue increases, it gets reflected into the DSO numbers. Now, if we look at the DIO, we notice that the DIO has been flat as well. In the past, we have seen some improvement, which was actually atypical. At that time, our conclusion was that some companies have built on the lessons learned from the COVID pandemic and adopted a more strategic approach to working capital management, as well as inventory and supply chain logistics management. And they really turned this into a competitive advantage. However, as we are seeing here, many companies are still struggling to find their way And I think this period of continued uncertainty has made it more difficult to improve on inventory performance. And looking at the current metrics, actually, I would say that a neutral score within this environment of uncertainty is actually a huge win. So this is the key message here, looking at the DIO. Uh, That's great. Thank you both. That's a very good look at the working capital side of the equation. Istvan, what can you tell us about liquidity and operational performance and, and how that's changed? Yeah, so if we look at the liquidity performance, well, despite the inflation average 6% in 2022, Cox, as a percentage of revenue, increased by only 1% from Q2 2021 to Q2 2022. This slight increase of the COX as percentage of revenue indicates that companies are actually managing costs given the high inflationary pressure quite well, and they also manage to manage the volatile consumer demand very well in this environment. So gross margin has improved, but gross margin has two key components, revenue and COX. And as revenue has increased by a whopping 22%, we can see that that's really what's driving the overall gross margin improvement and not really the COX component. What is also noteworthy in our most recent data set and analysis is that really the EBITDA margin has degraded. Companies have been keeping a tight discipline around COX, but it looks like they were not so successful around SGNA and other operating expenses, which have faced some inflationary and labor pressure as well in the past. Now, if we look at the cash on hand, we can see that cash on hand has decreased by almost 30%. So this change combined with the decrease in total debt seems to indicate really that companies continue to use the cash they have hoarded in the past during the pandemic to pay off the debt as a response to the continued increase in the interest rates. Okay, 
Sean, you talked earlier about the increased business uncertainty. What would you tell companies looking to optimize working capital and cash flow today? Right. So, Gary, I mean, first of all, I would say that with the supply chain constraints, the um, FX, so the foreign, foreign exchange volatility, the high inflation, the slow in economic growth and the rise in the cost of capital, as well as, as a reminder, the lingering impact of, of, of COVID-19, which is still with us. All of these factors are already clouding the outlook for business. So managing working capital effectively can mean really the difference between companies and operations that struggle, that survive, or thrive. So I think the biggest conundrum right now is uh, facing companies is supply chain and inventory management. It is really a challenge to determine exactly how much inventory to stock during these times of supply chain disruption, rising costs, rising inflation, and volatile exchange rates. So companies, they want to have adequate inventory on hand to meet customer demand, but at the same time, too much overstocking inventory and too much overstocking of the wrong inventory can become obsolete and result in other costs of the business, as we've seen with some, some major retailers in the past, Target, for example. So our recommendations for these companies is that you cannot take your foot off the gas when it comes to working capital management. Prudent companies will not just fine-tune their inventories, receivables, and payable strategy. They need to double down on capabilities for managing working capital health. And by that, I mean, really, the most important factor is increasing the visibility into key indicators and really sharing information better across functions, across processes, and finally, automating, keep on automating those, those processes to enable further agility amid continuing change that we're, fe- that we're facing right now. That's right. And to further build on that, a couple of recommendations from a DSO management perspective would include that really traditional credit and collections management processes should be reviewed to ensure agility in capturing changing payment behaviors and to minimize exposure to bad debt. Also, the payment terms and the contractual milestones may need to be reviewed and receivables management brought to the forefront of commercial and contracting processes in many industries. Also, strict unbuilt receivables management policies may need to be implemented for organizations operating in project-based environment, such as engineering and construction or even home building. Given the high inflation and all the price increases given by the inflation, executing large projects will create a higher financial burden on organizations. And really, during this period of time, turning unbuilt receivables into customer invoices as soon as possible will be crucial to guarantee a healthy and timely cash flow for the organization. And if you look at the payable side, then it's also worth mentioning that Given the volatility and then the war, supplier criticality, competition for resources, and then also availability of supply may lead some organizations to revisit their sourcing, location, and also working capital strategies. Similarly, contingency planning will become increasingly important in procurement and supply planning as evidenced by the pandemic and both geographically, politically, and in terms of diversification of supply. 
going forward, it's highly recommended to incorporate risk into the cash cost and service supply chain planning trade-off, identifying additional sourcing sites and even potentially near sourcing potentials to, as a percentage of critical supply, may become higher priorities exiting the pandemic. That's right. And building on that, Isvan, on the inventory side, we've seen the struggle between inventory holding, supply assurance, and demand forecasting. I spoke earlier about you know, visibility of the end-to-end processes. That, that applies to inventory, but also receivables and payables. And really, the end-to-end supply chain processes will need to be reviewed to ensure that the changing demand signals are rapidly recognized, captured, and communicated across the organization. And really, with some detailed thorough assessments of the risk, that is conducted on cash, cost, and service implications. So what I mean by that is really having a commercial and market intelligence teams that are well integrated into planning and manufacturing communication way ahead into the overall upstream processes to enhance that agility across the supply chain. So it's really about managing the inventory visibility better. And we do that, we recommend companies doing that by, for example, aligning supply chain processes with demand, identifying operational exposure and risks from demand and supply changes. So that ties up to the payable recommendation that Isvan was talking about. Also establishing inventory levels that factor in potential supply chain disruption and cost. Again, a tie-in to the payable. Providing insights in manufacturing and supply lead time and performance. And finally, again, providing visibility to demand volatility and forecasting. And at the end of the day, it's really going back to basics when it comes to working capital and especially on the inventory side. So if they haven't done that already, companies will need to consider or reconsider understanding the uh, changes on the impact of lead time, customer service levels, minimum order quantities, so read the basics, lot size, inventory stocking strategies, the pros and cons of using multiple suppliers, as well as demand and supply planning, and really by, by linking the cross-functional teams, so sales, operation, planning, really the companies will increase the visibility into future disruption in supply base and prioritize supply and strategy customers. Great stuff. It's, a, it's not hard to see that the headwinds will continue to persist and expand this year and that managing working capital effectively can mean the difference between operations that struggle or operations that thrive. Isfan and Sean, thank you both for joining me today and for providing your insights. This has been very helpful. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackettgroup.com.